0: Curious Conversations About Sex is brought to you by Curious Creatures, who run a variety of workshops on self-development and sexuality in Australia. My name is Rog. Hey gang, I've got some great news about uh, workshops in 2020, not just in Melbourne, Australia, but also in Sydney, Brisbane and Singapore. And not just workshops by little old me, but interstate and international facilitators also. It's really exciting to be able to offer you more learning experiences than uh, just what I can provide. From February 26th to the 29th, Mayola Woods will be in Melbourne. Uh, The interview that you're about to listen to on today's podcast episode is with Mayola, so I'll let that speak for itself. Uh, The last five or so minutes of our chat is just about her workshops to help you decide if they're for you or not. And uh, as always, you can find out more at curiouscreatures.biz. Then for you Brisbane folks, uh, Dr. Martha Lee is going to be with you from March 7th to the 12th. Uh, Those dates are on the website and you should also make sure you're on our mailing list for Queensland. Then back in Melbourne, uh, Dr. Martha Lee will be here from April 18 to 28, uh, teaching a whole range of workshops, including several that she didn't do when she was here back in November. In mid May, Tess and I will be taking Curious Creatures to Singapore. Uh, finally, the rest of the world will get to start experiencing our fun little attempt at how to do relationships and sexuality. Then, huge news for Melbourne people, Uh, we are presenting Deej and Uma on the weekend of June 6, 7 and 8. Uh, Deej and Uma are a core part of the Institute of Somatic Sexology, who bring us the famous Sexological Bodywork course. And they've also taught all of the other workshop facilitators that I've just mentioned, uh, myself included, Uh, In my opinion, Deej and Uma are easily two of the world's best sex educators and facilitators. Uh, I think we're incredibly lucky to have them. Their work is academically grounded, accessibly presented and just plain old fun. So I'm proud to have participated in or supported many of their workshops and I'm really excited to be presenting them for you in Melbourne. So set aside June 6 to 8 in your calendar now and keep an eye on the mailing list and website for more information. And finally, uh, on the weekend of August 22, Tess and I will be running workshops in Brisbane and that'll be followed by Sydney on the weekend of August 29th. So there you go, 2020 is looking like it's going to be a bit of a bender. Uh, Let's get started with a chat now with Mayola Woods about all sorts of things to do with relationships and sexuality. Today, we're having a chat with Mayola Woods. Uh, Mayola is a sexuality specialist from Sydney in Australia, and Curious Creatures is pretty excited to be presenting four workshops uh, with Mayola in Melbourne uh, from February 26th to 29th, and we'll chat about that more at the end of this episode. Um, But uh, yeah, Mayola, welcome to the show. Good having you here.
1: Oh, thank you, Roger. Thanks for having me. It's, you know, fantastic to... We, uh, you know, have the uh, to share knowledge and share such wisdom. It's great. Your podcast is doing amazing things.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, there is something nice about um, getting this information out there. I really agree. Um, so let's start with uh, who are you and what do you do?
1: Um, you know, I'm lots of things. I'm a I'm an author, presenter, mother, and I you know work as a, as the erotic coach. So I help people. In you know just like a finance coach or a business coach or you know a fitness coach helps people in those areas, I help people in their erotic lives in their bedroom, in their intimate lives, and what drew me here was I suppose my own journey in not having thinking that there, I knew that I always knew there could be more, and I knew that there must be more to what was happening and what was going on and in places I was stuck, so I went on my own journey, and I realized that people. We don't have places, we don't often have places. I mean, sometimes I think I'm very lucky because I have lots of places, but most people don't have places where they can talk about sex, sexuality, intimacy. And the flip side is we don't talk about it, but we just expect that we know it. How does that, I always wonder how that works.
0: It, it's a phenomenal thing. It's like sexuality and sort of, I guess, self-awareness and I guess relationship skills, um, yeah, they all have this sense that somehow you're magically meant to mm. be good at them and mm. yet at no stage in your life do you actually get taught them in any meaningful way. It's so weird.
1: No, no, I'll, well, I don't know about you, but, you know, my sex education from school was, you know, kind of don't get pregnant and don't get a disease. That was kind of yep. how it worked. <laughs> Nobody talked about pleasure or orgasms or and, and you know, for some instance, I think if we talked about pleasure and orgasms, we could have less conversations about disease and, uh, you know, not getting pregnant because we would have a different focus. We would yeah. teach people how to, you know, how to grow and how to nurture and how to, you know, how to have orgasms and erotic experiences touching your knee. That would yes. be, you know, that would be instead of all this, you know, kind of focus on genitals and, and not to use them. I mean, it's, just, <laughs> you know, it's like saying... You don't think about it, the pink elephant and as soon as you say it, everyone thinks about the pink elephant. As soon as you say about not not touching genitals and not having anything to do with them, everyone wants, everyone wants more to do with them.
0: Yes. And I feel like that style of sex education you spoke about, i.e. the don't get pregnant version, um, it, gosh, it doesn't really prepare people for the complexities and challenges of what comes up in uh, relationships and particularly long-term relationships.
1: No, it doesn't teach us communication skills. It doesn't teach us longevity. It doesn't teach us how to, you know, when when things get a bit antsy or a bit anxious or a bit intense, what do we do with that? Like how do we how do we cope with that? And depending on our role models, I mean, most you know, most of us, I think, just decide, well, it's too hard, and I'll go, I'll move on. Instead, you know, we don't seem to have the longevity of. Or how? What would it take to stay rather than leave? And can my can my can I be vulnerable? And can I be intimate? And can I grow with this person? Like what yes. else is possible here? I mean, yes. Yeah, sometimes we need to leave. I'm not talking about um, you know anything that's um, you know abusive or domestic, or even just as time to leave. Sometimes it is just time to leave. Yes. But yes. we all know that there are other times when we know that things are not finished, and maybe if we had different skill set, if we had. That maybe, and maybe we could have caught it earlier as well, and maybe not left it to kind of fester into now it's a swamp to look at rather than a one little weed to take out.
0: I love that you mentioned the lack of role models because I feel like, in the absence of much training and education around this stuff, then whether we know it or not, we tend to get our role modeling from television and movies. And we assume yes. that they've been written from a perspective of wisdom and by people who are excellent at relationships and um, the like. And um, they're just not. Uh, movies and television is built around all sorts of different themes that are not necessarily positive.
1: No, and they're holy. Like they're, they're they're made for entertainment.
0: Yeah, yeah. They're, that's and, what they're made for. And you don't know that when you're learning.
1: No, no. As a child, when you're growing up and you're watching them, um, I have. Two teenage boys. So we have conversations around porn. And I Excellent. use the same, same sort of analogy of, you know, that's for Hollywood. Like, just like Fast and the Furious, you wouldn't, hopefully, hopefully, you were not going to jump from one roof in a car to another roof. Hopefully, that's, you know, that goes without saying. It's the same with porn. Don't, <laughs> you know, don't treat people as you would see them in there. So <laughs> that's
0: fantastic. Um, can I just a passing question on that? Um, following on from our last episode. Um, what's your take on what age to start talking with kids about porn and sexuality?
1: Mm, my, I've been given advice because even though, so, so even as a sex educator, um, I've talked to my friends and talked to my colleagues and things because I don't know everything and I'm kind of someone who likes to maybe push those conversations. Uh-huh. And so my advice has been. I mean, there are things in my house. There are, you know, there are things that are not secret. Like things are not. They can. They, they could pick up books if they wanted, and they could. They could do all sorts of things. Um. So my advice to me was to have it sitting around, and then have those conversations when when they're ready. And I often, I think, sometimes my children don't want to get stuck in the car with me because some, you know, that side by side communication when all of a sudden you're asking questions and because it's in the car and it's relaxed, you're kind of, you've you taken a tangent down somewhere else. I think the natural natural conversations and asking questions about what's happening with their friends and what's happening with this and how do you feel about that and how do you um, is letting them lead I think is possibly what I have done more of than trying to have the, the conversations, continually having the conversations rather than one conversation.
0: Yeah. Nice. Nice. I like it. Thanks for that um, uh, tangent. Um, So getting back to relationships and the state of the world, um, like, do you have any thoughts on, if you take like a really zoomed out perspective, do you have any thoughts on sort of how we're going generally? And I don't know how, how that compares to where we were 50 years ago or 500 years ago?
1: It's an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, we would think that with the amount of, you know, Facebook friends and Instagram friends and people that we have, that we're much more connected, but I don't I don't feel that that's how it is. And I feel that possibly the dating apps have taken some of that away, taken that, you know, that courting away, taking that uh, initial sense of things. I think sometimes, you know, 50 years ago, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, but 50 years ago, things would have been probably simpler. You know, the <laughs> men knew, <laughs> the men knew. Gee, what,
0: what, why would you get in trouble for saying something like that?
1: <laughs> oh,
0: no, I know what you're saying. I know where you're going. Let's cut ourselves a little bit of latitude and, and talk in generalisations for a second. I want to hear where you're about to go.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I think in you know, general terms, 50 years ago, men knew what they were supposed to do. And for for all sense and purposes, you know, women knew what they were supposed to do. Men were supposed to bring flowers and court and it was supposed to, you know, so they knew their role and women knew that they you know they could say yes or they could say no and they and they and they had the journey of courting and and then they got married and i'm not saying that that's the right or the wrong way i'm not I'm not saying yeah, but no. i think that in simple it's like in simple terms whereas now i sense in, in the world that there's a little bit of confusion with that do i can i you know can i open the door for a woman can i or you know should women be opening the doors for men or should what what is actually where are we, and who pays for you know when you go out and what happens and And now we have blended families, so there's well who who owns this and who does this, and who where does the inheritance go? how does it get? St- I think that, yeah, so I think in simple terms, fifty years ago, things were simpler mm, and mm. and I think that we're on another journey of moving into connection on a different level. Mm, so mm. we've got the you know the social media and the all of those levels that seem to be a little bit fake, I suppose, for better words, they seem. I suppose it's one of those things. On the surface, it seems like connecting, but if you dig through, it's not really. And so, I suppose the next journey will be that people will come out of that and be looking, I suppose, for more of that integrated, uh, that integrated connection. What and what does connection mean? Like, as mammals, we are wired for connection. Mm. So even though. You know, I suppose society is gearing us towards being independent, and you need to do this, you need to do that, and you need to do the other thing. Whereas our my like we are still built, we are still built for connection. So, my, I suppose what I hope for is that we will connect on a different level. We will connect more integrated on the body, on the soul, on the, so that there's more and beyond, you know, beyond that people look like a, look a certain way or have a certain gender or Mm. that people have, you know, people are beings and what can we collaborate and what can we contribute together to?
0: Yeah, yeah. I remember um, one of my teachers once described it as being um, since uh, the beginnings of our evolution as a species, uh, relationships have been built around survival primarily Mm. and then Mm. slightly more recently that's moved into a bit more of a sort of a business transaction and then the idea that um, we have sort of like choice in who we want to partner with and that we have expectations around what communication should look like and expectations around sex and pleasure and things like that that's a, actually a pretty radical and new experiment like um, uh, you know rich folks uh, only got the luxury of fiddling with that over the last couple of hundred years and most of us have only been playing with that for about the last 50 or maybe a hundred years. Um so, yeah, I guess, um, it, I don't know, it's a pretty wild experiment.
1: I would agree. I agree it is an experiment and I, and I think that's what make, makes it difficult is that we're rewiring and learning all at the same time. There isn't, yeah. I suppose, you know, the other part is that it's, you know, cutting edge and yeah. that we get to make it what we want, but we're creating the neurological pathways for what's going to happen. We're creating how we relate. We create our communication styles and our communication, and we have, yes, so much choice now. We can have so much choice in <laughs> our so sexuality much choice. In our, yeah, in our <laughs> relationships, in our community, and, and I suppose it does go back to, you know, if there's only one thing on the on the menu, then you pick the one thing. But now we have, well, I could have anything on this menu, and then I could mix it up and you know add this and add that to that and add. Yep. So I said, so, yeah, we're on a journey of learning. What we want, I suppose. What we, and I think that's where things get a little bit tough. When yes. we're only used to having one thing, yes, and now all of a sudden we've got the smorgasbord. Or well, how do I have the confidence to even move towards the smorgasbord, or should I just stay with? <laughs> Should I just stay with what I know?
0: Yes. I'm reminded of uh, some sociological research that's been done recently where uh, if you put a customer, like, say, in a shopping centre and give them 12 different choices of, say, I don't know, any product, hair care product or whatever, uh, they're actually not very happy, their cortisone levels go up and they don't enjoy the experience. If you just give them three options um, of distinctively different price brackets, they're so much happier without choice. And I'm I'm really reluctant to uh, tie this back to the relationship co- uh, conversation because it's going to sound like we're proposing arranged marriages. But um, yes. suffice yes. to say, gee, we live in interesting times.
1: Yes, we come back to Goldilocks. We just want <laughs> we just want <laughs> that. There. You know, those there is something about those fairy tales, and you know, I suppose and trying them out. And I suppose that's the confidence. And what I find, and you know, happens to me as well, is that do I have Do I have the resilience and do I have the courage if this goes wrong?
0: Mm, And if
1: this, and what, what happens if this goes wrong? Like who does that affect and what does that actually look like? It might go blissfully smooth sailing, but what if it doesn't and can, what, what will happen then? Yeah. And can uh, I manage that?
0: And there's always that fascinating question uh, when you're in um, a relationship which is not quite perfect, so that's, you know, most relationships. Yes. Of um, Is this a relationship worth investing in and trying to save and trying to wrench it in directions I'd prefer, or is it time yes. to leave and jump ship and try something else?
1: Yes. It's a postmodern yes. dilemma. It is. Yes, yeah. it, it is. It is. I would say yes, possibly a first a first world problem. That's correct, yes, <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> um, um, I would love to ask you about um the 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 pattern or the dynamic where sexuality tends to drop off in long term relationships. Um, in a moment, I, I'd love to ask you about what your suggested fixes might be for that. Um, but first, I'd like to start with. Why does that happen, do you think? Like, why do you think there is such a distinctive drop-off in, I don't know about all, but, you know, it seems like a lot or almost all relationships uh, once, once they get past that first sort of three months or 12 months or however long?
1: Yeah, well there's lots of reasons, I suppose. So, you know, the first reason could be the level of hormones, the level of dopamine, the level of oxytocin that's flowing through. I mean, they say that, you know, it takes about twelve or eighteen months for you to take your your hormone glasses off <laughs> and be able to actually see who the person is or who how the relationship is. And then so I suppose when that when all of that um, chemicals are not running, then you've got to be able to sustain that yourself. Can I just, so in the, can I
0: just pause you there? I love what you're saying about the hormone glasses because at that first stage when you're falling in love with someone, um, you actually have no idea who they are because you can't separate all of your projections from objectively looking at what this person's like and you haven't seen them in a conflict yet.
1: Correct. Correct. <laughs> correct. So you've still got those, yeah, I've called them hormone, but you know, it's rose-colored glasses, whatever. Yeah. You kind of glass. the filters you haven't, you haven't seen them for real yet, and it hasn't been tested, and it hasn't been, um, you know, there's been no conflict, you know, or there's been not, not a lot of testing going on, and it's not, as we know in all relationships, whether that's business or, you know, personal, you you don't know them until they're tested, yeah, until they kind of, and that's how they grow, and that's how they deepen, yeah, but sometimes that's also where the scary stuff is.
0: Oh, my gracious, yes. And it's, it's not until you've seen someone with their chips down or, or when they really dislike something you've done that you actually get to meet the real person.
1: Mm. I mean, you know, the, the meme that says, you know, sit with someone with slow internet <laughs> 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 and see what they're like, then, then, then you can decide whether you want to, you know, continue or not continue. So, yeah, sometimes it's those moments.
0: I love it. So, so go on. I interrupted you a bit. You were talking about what happens when those hormones start to tail away. Yeah.
1: So when those, so so in those hormones, we don't. I suppose we don't need to do a lot of work. We don't need because that's already flowing. So we're and we're usually interested as well. So we're usually doing. You know, we're paying attention. And then the hormones, you know, cease. So we need to sustain it ourselves. So just like if we were, you know, creating a fire, eventually we need to be able to get it to a point where we can add. And keep adding, if we don't tend the fire, it will disappear and it will, you know, it will linger for a little while, but it will, you know, disintegrate and totally disappear. So I think we think about relationships that they don't need effort and they don't need work. And we tend to, I'm not really sure why, I haven't, I'm not, I'm sure there is a theory, but I haven't found one yet, why we tend to take them for granted and why we tend to um, just... Be sometimes nasty to the people that we say that we love and we care for, and you know they, they do say that it. I mean, if you had a friend that kept saying no to you, like for dinner or for lunch or to go for a movie, you'd probably they say it takes about two or three times that you'll ask, and then once you once you get two or three nos, two or three rejections, then you're not going to ask again. Mm, yeah. So, but when when our partners in our relationships. We tend to, we tend to may, maybe say no. I'm not saying you can't say no. That's not what I'm saying here. But yeah. we tend to not, we te- or, or we haven't had a look at why am I saying no? Why am I why, why am I saying no? I don't want to spend time with you. No, I'm too busy. No, I've got to take the kids out. No, I've got to cook dinner. No, I've got to do the housework. No, I've got to go to the pub. No, I've got to do. So why are we saying no? Yeah. And we yep. haven't why is it not a priority?
0: I I think um, uh, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Uh, Like if you hear two or three or four no's or however many, then the offers will stop coming. Uh, It's hard to do, uh, but I think it's essential when you're the person that is having an offer made to you, you need to find a way to say yes, as well as no. So, thanks for that offer. I don't think I'm into that right now. Um, can I come back to you in the next couple of days with an alternative offer? Or like, thanks for that offer. Maybe not that, but can we try this instead? Or even just, thanks for that offer. I don't think I'm into it, but I really appreciate that you came to me with an offer. Thank you.
1: Yes, yes. Because it keeps the conversation going and it keeps, um, I don't you know, uh, Dr. Sh- uh, Snarp, his work, you know, Intimacy and Desire, he talks in the book about, you know, the person with the lowest sexual desire actually has the control in the relationship.
0: Uh huh. Yeah.
1: And that, or when I read that, I it was like a light bulb that went off in my brain. Yes, I understood it, but I also thought that's not the dynamic that, as a society, we usually play. We usually decide that the person with the lowest desire in, and you know, I'm using sexual, but it could be anything. Um, the, the person with the lowest desire in housework. Um gets to control how much housework gets done or how much uh-huh. how much time gets spent on it. yeah, you know? so uh-huh. the same in the you know in the in the sexual realm as well. So the person with the lowest desire gets to control. and I don't think so I don't think we realize that when what we might be saying no to could also be a way of getting what we want and a way of keeping things in the status quo. A way of not actually looking at what the issue is presenting. So I think we we use, we say no, I'm busy, to hide what is really going on. And usually for me, when I'm working with people, is we uncover what that what that is. When did and it's usually some sort of safety issue or some sort of you know. And sometimes it's a very small thing that has you know, like an oyster has turned into like a piece of sand that has turned into, it's not usually a pearl though, it turned into something terrible where it started off very simple and if we had communication skills and if we had the awareness to, at the time to go, hang on a sec, there's something not right here. I felt, you know, I felt a glitch. You know, in the matrix they have, you know, the cat that appears, you know, the glitch that happens. You know, I felt a glitch, hang on a sec, What's 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 not happening? Yeah. But to... Be that aware it takes, it takes a lot of practice and it takes a lot of presence to be able to go, hang on a sec, I felt something that wasn't quite right. Can we, can we have a conversation until, until I get it, until I get right into life?
0: Yeah. I, I notice all of the approaches we're talking about um, are very communicative, like both the process of making offers and the process of uh, responding to those little glitches in the moment. And uh, so few people communicate about these things on the fly
1: you <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I get caught
0: out as well. Um, I, I was thinking before when we were talking about the process of making offers, like it's actually quite a lot easier if um, if say a higher libido partner approaches to say, hey, would you be interested in doing such and such? When it's in words like that, it's actually a little easier for the low libido partner or the one that's not so interested in the moment to say, you know what, maybe not quite that, but something else or let me come back to you with something else. Mm. It's a little easier when it's already in words, but most offers actually take the form of a very gentle to kind of a come on so you're lying to bed and a partner touches your shoulder in a certain way and you can either roll away at that point in time or otherwise take it into the verbal channel and yeah
1: yes Yes, it does. Often we, we don't have the communication skills to be able to do that. Yeah. And, yeah.
0: And, and again, we're back to that thing of, um. and why would we? I mean, we're never taught them. Um, it's, it's like um, you wouldn't expect an architect to be able to wander into an, arch- sorry, you wouldn't expect a person to be able to wander into an architect's office and design a building. You'd expect to go through training and then ongoing professional development. And it is just fascinating that we think that we somehow don't need to do that with self-development, communication skills and sex.
1: It is, it is, yeah, it, it always blows me away. I do a lot, a lot of expos and often people come and tell me, and I always think it's a little bit funny. I don't go to the fruit shop and say, I don't need your fruit, but they often come and see me and they go, oh, I don't need you. And I kind of look at them and go, but you actually don't know what I do. And I think if I, you know, delved a little bit, you probably could have. You know, I have learned that the more that I know about communication and sexuality and eroticism, there is probably 400 million times more that I don't know.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: And I am forever learning and forever, you know, keeping on track and keeping vigilance on myself as well as, and I, because I feel like it's an ongoing process. Like the more, you know, when you start the highway, you know, and then you're the, getting that communication skills is, you know, starts off very simply. And if we want to grow it you, know, if it, you know, into a highway or we want to grow it into something that, you know, has lots of longevity, then that takes time and practice. Yeah. And then, you know, and then once you add arousal into that, I can have, you know, very good, you know, I'm, maybe this only happens to me, but I can have really good, clear communication skills and no boundaries. And, no, and then, but when I'm aroused, you know, it's taken me a long time for them not all to just disappear. Mm. The the brain just kind of says, yeah, yeah, I'm <laughs> <laughs> "Yeah, I'm off now. I'm off now. I'm leaving you. Uh, no, you don't need me now." I'm like, "Hang on, hang on, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Come back, brain. Come back. <laughs> yeah. Come back. Let me let me breathe. Let me work out what's happening. Let me." So there's one thing, even to have the yeah you know, the communication skills, and then to have once arousal, once the system is aroused, then that for me, I know that takes another level of skill and another another level of practice to to get to
0: yeah nice hey there listener i'd like to make you a little proposal i love making this podcast for free because it helps me spread the word about sex positivity but I could use your help in spreading the word just by sharing this episode, if that's not too absurd. For every ten stories that you listen to, please recommend it to someone that might like it too. (laughs) This is not a real contract, for you got no say. I would if I could frame it some other way. And if sharing's not for you, that's fine. There's nothing to do. Please listen without guilt to this podcast I built. Um, any other thoughts on what longer-term couples can do to um, keep sex alive, or discover and explore the sex that works for
1: them? Sure, 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 sure. Um, I mean, I think that I think one of the things that we forget is that sex um, of, well, often needs a little bit of attention, and it often needs a little that. So, lovers, lovers actually needs a bit of work, and you can be because oh, I seem to work with people who have become friends rather than lovers. And they seem to have great company, great connection. They have great love, but they they've lost that spark. So, bringing that spark back. And sometimes I think we we think that it's we make a big deal of it, and we our brain tells us, well, if I'm going to make an action, it needs to be really big. Well, it may not need to be really big. It may it could be that you send text messages saying, "I'm thinking of you," or "I can't wait to see you," or I'm going to be wearing my red boxes when you get home. There's, you, you can start, it doesn't have to be, well, I need dinner and flowers and a movie and a this and a that to make a, you know, to keep those embers going, it's often the little things and it's often, it's usually those touchstones, those little pieces that keep the connection. Because when, so I always kind of, and practice. Setting up practice spaces. Mm. Um, so, because we, so,
0: yeah, so talk, more, talk more about that. What would a practice space look like in relationship? So a
1: practice? Yeah. So, I I, <laughs> I usually tell my clients when they, they don't like me in the beginning, um, they like me in the end. But in the beginning, I kind of tell them that if you're not turning up to practice space, you can't have game space. So, if you were if we were playing uh, sport, if you're playing football, if you were you know learning you know if you're playing a musical instrument in the, you know, with a band, you would need to turn up to practice time. And if you didn't turn up to practice time, you don't get the game. Yeah. Because it's, in the practice yeah. time, yeah, in the practice time is when you get to learn how everyone works together, how everyone moves. You can ask questions because you can't, when you're in the game, you can't kind of call out a timeout and say, oh, hang on a sec, which was that? Which was that a G minor or a G major? Like, what was that again? Sorry, can you tell me? You can't You can't ask those sort of questions. You need to learn all of those things in the practice So setting up a practice space where you can actually have a time. And it might be that you, you know, there is, you know, little games that you can find um, or, you know, just setting up and we're going to spend, you know, five or ten minutes just touching each other, just practicing, just taking one part of the body and and moving it. And, you know, usually I suggest people start away from the genitals because that's just easier to not have. Not to have that in the, as a distraction as well. Yeah. But starting off on someone's leg or someone's arm and just practicing, well, what does this feel like? And what does this, and does, how does it always feel feedback? Getting feedback without it sounding like a, you know, a Spanish Inquisition is, you know, so asking them, well, what does this feel like? How is the pressure? Yeah. Would you like more, pre- and giving them examples? Because if you say to somebody, is this good? That's a terrible question, I think. Um, Yeah, what's better? Then they they have to, yes, exactly. What's better? How can this be better? And giving them, you know, is this more pressure, less pressure? Because that keeps them in their body. Yes.
0: And I I love phrasing the question, how could this touch be more perfect?
1: Yes. Rather than saying, is
0: this okay? Are you liking this? Because if the person wants to change it, then that means they've got to give you a little bit of a criticism around that. Whereas if you say, how could this touch be more perfect? It's like, hey, we both know this is already perfect, but if it could be even more perfect, what would that look like?
1: That's right. That's right.
0: I um I love your analogy with football just because comparing football with sex is like one of my lifelong hobbies um <laughs> but you've just shown me a new little angle of it because of course um the uh, in a lot of ways it is about the game um itself like the like the mm-hmm. Yeah, the main game. Um, But before that, you've got all of the drills and exercises and trainings that you go through as a team. Uh, And also you've also got your own personal standalone fitness that you need to attend to. You've got your own work that you've got to do on yourself and you've got to do exercises within the relationship and then you can Mm -hmm. expect to have a decent, you know, game.
1: Yes, yes, yes. But somehow or other... Like we know that about sport, we know that about language, we know that about music, but when it comes to sex, we think that we don't need to do anything. Yeah, we just turn, we just turn up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hang on a sec, uh, that's not how it works. <laughs> well, not how. Well, you know, not unless you've had lots of practice. And then you know, the things that make up good sex are movement and touch and breath and sound. But often we can only do one of those things at a time.
0: Yeah yeah and
1: so that's then you know when if a an analogy of dancing it then it feels like you're treading on each other's feet, yeah whereas if you and then I just think that practice sets us sets ourselves up that we can ask questions and we're not we're not trying particularly to get you know if there's arousal, if there's pleasure if there's orgasms, that's a bonus, but we're not we're looking for practice and information and how to how to touch each other, how to communicate, how to know each other, it's not you know, the arousal and the pleasure is, you know, is there, it could be there, it may not be there, yeah. but it's not, that's not the agenda. It's been taken off the taken off the table. So yeah, you nice. can actually just sink into that, sink into that practice of, well, how does this feel and what does it, you know, what what position could we be in and, and what and how could this work? And if I move this way, because we're in the game, we often just want it to go smoothly. We don't want to be asking all those questions. I mean, it depends on who you are, but we often don't want to be asking those questions and, we want it, we just want it to go smooth. Yeah. But my, you know. Yeah. So pra- I always think practice is, is great.
0: Love it. Um, one of the other things that uh, often happens in uh, longer term relationships, uh, and I guess I'm talking about monogamous relationships here, is affairs and cheating. Um, I'd love your thoughts on why you think that's uh, so common and what's going on there.
1: Yeah, it is common, isn't it? Mm. And sometimes I, sometimes I feel that affairs and, and what, whether, what's going on for ourselves, and that's I suppose we're not used to inquiring about, well, what, what is going on for me? We have someone that came, comes into our life that stirs something that maybe hadn't been stirred in a long time or maybe has never been stirred and we kind of have these feelings and then we think, and I think we still have that programming of, well, I feel this So this means I'm supposed to do this with you and I'm supposed, so whether that is, you know, we're supposed to have sex or whether we're supposed to get married and have children, but sometimes we can just, sometimes people come along and we can acknowledge in ourselves, why am I feeling this and inquiring, why am I feeling this and what's not happening for me and why am I not, why is this not happening for me at home and is there a before, I'm not actually, you know, sometimes affairs and cheating, sometimes they can be useful and sometimes they can be useful to find out things that we want to know about ourselves. For me, there's a different thing about secrets. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but what, firstly, inquiring about, well, why is this not, why am I not feeling like this at home with my partner? What could I bring? What could I do? What could I, what, what could I, and often is why am I not feeling this in myself? Like we, I think we're at the stage now where we can, it's easy to say that joy and happiness and sadness and they're our feelings are in our bodies. So our pleasure, our sexuality, our sensations—they're all in our bodies as well. It's not someone else's; it's in our bodies. And sometimes, sometimes I think we we don't know that, we don't understand that, and we think that it's someone else. Someone else is bringing this yeah. to us. Yeah,
0: and I guess it comes back to what we were chatting about uh, with regards to the cocktail of hormones that happen when we've met someone new. And it's funny the uh, the person that you have an affair with can offer you something there that a long term partner just literally can't offer. You you mm. you can't mm. sort of fall in love for the first time uh, with someone you've already fallen in love with.
1: No, no. So it's you know there is a little bit of then chasing that that hit. So yes. like a drug, like a you know yes. yes, chasing that hit and the newness and the and there is something. There, yeah, there is something delightful in falling in love and, and meeting and, you know, exploring with someone and doing that for the first time. And so there is something delicious in that. But is it, what is it, and, and is it the secret? So and particularly with affairs, you know, is it that it's a secret? And is it that it's a, so there's, for me, before having an affair, sometimes a whole bunch of questions need to be answered, like what is going on for me and why do I want to have an affair? Like am I just looking for something to, you know, give me a little bit of a hit? Am I feeling down? Am I, do I need to, or is this serious? Like, do I need to close down my, you know, marriage, my relationship? Is there And what's going to happen? Like, is there children involved? Is there families involved? What is actually going to happen? And I guess
0: also, uh, is there something in my relationship, my main monogamous relationship, which is not working for me, but that could potentially be worked on? Uh, Is it just like a little cheaper and easier to just go away and have an affair and then come back to the friendship?
1: Yes. Uh, Yes. Yes. And I suppose for me, uh, I I feel that when you have secrets that they get, um, they cause undercurrents in a relationship. In mean, any relationship. But once there's, when there's secrets and there's un, like when there's things not spoken about. Um, so you know, I think that you may possibly could have a conversation with someone that said, "I'm not getting this need met here." A, B, C, and how do how do you feel about us exploring that together? How do you feel about how could we work on that and exploring exploring that avenue first, and then well, I'm not getting my need met. I still want to have, a, you know, a relationship. Am I? Can we? Is there a way that I can explore this extra? Yeah, nice. And still keep, and still keep my safety, or still keep that if that's what I want and that's what we agree to. But sometimes I find that that's not as sexy as having a little bit of an affair. Yeah, yeah. I think affairs have a, a I don't know, a sexiness, a, a little bit of, you know, um, you know, a delight that you're not supposed to be having. There's that. Is that cheekiness, that naughtiness
0: that goes with it? Mm, yeah, yeah, nice. And I like the fact that you uh, waved a little flag for—is uh, is there an attempt at polyamory or some version of open relationship uh, wanting to happen? That's uh, also worth uh, touching on.
1: Um, well, you don't. Yeah, I think having conversations is is a way to go rather than when we don't. And but this, that takes time, so that means that, you know, you can't, you don't rush into something. You kind of take the time and you kind of see what's, what. And, and I suppose what is actually going on for me? What am I wanting here? Am I wanting more connection and I'm not getting it? And what would that look like? Am I actually looking for sexual connection or am I looking for companionship or am I looking for both? Am I looking, what, I think that takes us to get really clear on what am I looking for? And I think that takes a bit of responsibility and a bit of authenticity to be able to then, okay, go, this is what I want. What I want is more connection. I want more sexual connection or I want more intimate connection or I want to sit with someone and eye gaze for a few hours. That's yeah, what I want. Yeah, nice.
0: And and then there's the question there, am I willing to do um, the work to uh, bring that into the relationship? And also, am I willing to ask my lower libido or lower intimacy partner to do the work they need to do to um, meet me there? They're um tricky questions.
1: They are tricky questions. They are tricky questions. There's no – and there's no – Right and wrong answers with that—that that is just what is authentic to people in the moment. That's yes. and 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 the vulnerability. I think we we tend to think vulnerability is a weakness and not a strength. So being that vulnerable because you could get rejected, mm. you know. So you could say to your partner, "This is what I'm experiencing. This is how I'm feeling," and and they could not handle that very well, depending on their emotional intelligence and what their level of communication is. So yeah, it's, it's really, such a tra-
0: definitely it's such re- a trap that one. You're so right. Like it so feels like. Being vulnerable is unlikely to get you what you want, um, but it sort of is often the only way you're going to get what you want. It's mm-hmm. ah, amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you've written on the topic of getting out of your own way. Um, what do you mean by that and how do we do it?
1: Because I feel that we have, we're have we often in our own way. We, our heads tell us that we're not very good or we don't deserve or and that we have habits that back that up. We have habits that you know we get close to someone we get close to and then and then we want to run away so we're or we get close to someone and we make fun of them or we get close to someone and then we start to nitpick them or we get we have these ways of being, and usually often they're unconscious and often they're um not. You know, they're not often they're usually quite conscious for other people around us. They usually know when we, when, you know, often if I share an awareness, people say to me, Oh, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, I could have told you. Um. So, but our unconsciousness are what keep us from being intimate, being those unconscious of not wanting to be hurt, not wanting to be rejected, not wanting to be vulnerable, keep us in our own way of sharing you know, greater connection, greater intimacy, greater sexual experiences with people.
0: Hmm. Nice. Um, One of the criticisms, I guess, around studies in sex and sexuality and all of the workshops and things um, that one can go to and all the books that one can read, there's a criticism which says that um, actually it's all just kind of hedonistic fluff. Um, And although there's... um, you know, nothing wrong with that per se. Uh, it doesn't have a uh, uh, deeper meaning or more profound meaning. Um, I'd love your thoughts on that. And um, I guess the question of like, why would people bother working on their sexuality, reading books, going to workshops, etc.
1: It's a cool question. Um, I suppose for me, I the question is why why wouldn't you? But let me go the other way. Everything we do... One the way we do one thing is how we do everything, and our innately, I know that we can be made in little petri dishes now. I know that, but essentially we're made from sexual energy. We're made from that, you know, that connection and that spark of life coming in. However, you know, whatever your word you want to call it—prana, kundalini, you know, whatever word you want to yep. give it, chi—it all. But they all come back to the same place. So if that is not, if we're not living that to the fullest and if we're not living that, then we're kind of denying our birthright, which I know sounds a bit hedonistic. But the way that it shows up, and I think this is the part for me, is the way that it shows up is not just in our sexuality. Like we don't just not have trouble feeling pleasure in our sexual lives. We have trouble feeling pleasure in all of our life. And we have, it shuts off Everything, not just in one little aspect.
0: We also. I, I just, I, I, I love road. what you're saying there. I just want to pause for a second. Um, highlight. I think you're saying that there's there's things you learn in the channel of sexuality, and then you find them rippling out into other areas of your life.
1: Yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely. What what you learn in one aspect ripples out, but also what is not being, you know, what is currently being either what you would want to call suppressed or not known or unconscious, also stops. Those levels in it in all that like you can't you don't really there's like it's like a seesaw you can't really have you can have high levels, but things can only go as far as they can go, and then unless you bring work to do the seesaw or bring work to do bring them up the other levels up you can't you just they it, it ceases all of them it, it put squashes all of them, not just one area so it's not just sexuality. lots of people that I work with are very much professional people who have done lots of professional developments, similar probably to me. I had done lots of personal development work, professional development work, and it wasn't, there was a different level and a different layer when I got to the sexuality stuff. That was what I thought I knew, what I thought I had done was kind of on a, you know, was kind of, I needed it to get where I needed to go for sure. But there was a new level in sexuality. There was a new level. It touched places that I didn't know. And that's what I see with my clients as well that it touches places that they didn't know that happened. And they thought that they were, they thought they were, you know, good communicators. They thought they had their lives together. And once we went into the sexuality world and once we uncovered, you know, the beliefs, the thoughts, the patterns, the habits, once we uncovered that, there was like this new a new growth happened for them, a new a new well, a new, uh, it all sounds like I'm talking in kind of myths and legends, but that's not what I mean. There's something, there is something magical about going into the sexuality world, it seems, and I think that's the flip side, is people are comfortable where they are and is it, am I going to give up my comfortableness for something that I'm not, a, I'm going to have to go, before I get to the magic I'm probably going to have to uncover some coal, so... I'm going to have to dig deep and I'm going to have to go to places that maybe I don't want to go. Yeah,
0: nice. Yeah, I I know for myself um, it felt like a sort of a hedonistic, fluffy pursuit at first, but then growth uh, perhaps like ejaculate comes in squirts um, and so it's just like nothing, nothing, nothing and then suddenly you realise you're able to do something that you couldn't do before. Sorry, I was meant to be talking on the first person. Like I remember the time I had my first full body orgasm and there's no way I could have learnt that without... Uh, all of that fluff that came before it, and uh, communication skills and relationships, like being able to meaningfully hold your ground while uh, listen, listening compassionately to a partner. Um, yeah, suddenly you, you wake up one day with a growth spurt and realise you've got something that you didn't have before.
1: Yes, yes, all right. we we... We get stuck, Mm. I think. We get stuck in, and I think we're a society. We're not necessarily into practice and we're not necessarily, we want the icing on the cake, but we don't necessarily want to build the cake and (laughs) and go and get the eggs and go and get the, we want, we want to just want the icing. True that. Um, So, yes, it takes a bit of work to get to full body orgasms or, you know, for, you know, all genders to ejaculate. You know, it's, it takes work takes takes effort yes takes investment work.
0: um and what so you're trained in sexological bodywork um would you be able to have a go at uh, one minute or less describing what sexological bodywork
1: is okay so sexological bodywork is working from the body and so so somatically so somatically is is a word we use which comes from you know the Greek meaning of the body we let the body lead so instead of our mind leading instead of our We create safety, which is for everyone is different. Everyone's safety is different. And we give the body a voice and often it hasn't had a voice. We've, you know, for a number of reasons, we tend to not listen to it. We tell it it's cold. We tell it's hot. We tell it's hungry. We tell it's not hungry. We tell it all sorts of things. Um, So often it hasn't had a voice. So essentially we allow the body to have the voice. And when that happens, then integration can happen. Healing can happen awarenesses can happen, more pleasure can happen, more sensations can happen, greater orgasms can happen. So but essentially the simple part is that it's working from the body.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. Love that description. Um, and so let's jump to the workshops you're doing uh, in Melbourne uh, towards mm-hmm. the end of February. Uh, let's just go mm-hmm. through them one mm-hmm. at a time and perhaps if you could just tell us uh, just a little about what happens in each. So on Wednesday the 26th of February, you're doing Deepen, Deepening Connection and Intimacy Through Communication. Uh, what goes on in that workshop?
1: Yes. So we're going to be doing, so lots of what we've been talking about today, how to keep the embers burning, how to get them, if you're in it, like I always say, if you're in a, if you're starting a new relationship, all of the things that you wanted to change before you can, you can, you know, integrate and have, and change. And so, or you can, if you're in a long-term relationship, you can take these exercises, these activities, these awarenesses, and, you know, keep the coals burning and start them. And. Have ways of being going going home and actually be able to say and, and put a little bit of the emphasis on, you know, my Ola said, my Ola said that we should practice. <laughs> yep, my Ola said, blame the
0: teacher. <laughs> I love it. It takes, yeah,
1: that's it. That, that's what yeah, we're here yeah, for, it. people. Use Myola us as third parties. Said, that's it. <laughs> yes, yes, blame me. Uh, My older said, if we sit down and we do this, or and how would you like to be touched? And what was the sentence that she used? Oh, she said, you know, well, how could we, how could we make that better? Was there more pressure, less pressure, like how, and we can play. So it gives, it actually, I'm someone who really likes the theories, but it's the actions that change us. It's the actions that we do that so we, we have both. So you'll get some theories and you'll get to practice and you'll get to learn, but you'll also get to have some actions that you can take home for your new partners or for partners that you're looking to attract or for partners that you're okay, great. With. And
0: on Friday the 28th of Feb, you're doing Activate Your Orgasmic Body.
1: Yes, this is one of my favourites. Uh, we're working on, one of my teachers once said to me, you know, or- orgasm. I think, I think we're at a stage where we can say everything's a frequency and we're, we're quite happy with that but the other part is orgasm is a frequency. So once, you know, what if that was a frequency and what if we were able to tap into that when we wanted, not just on a scarcity level and not just when we were wanted to have sex or just wanted to be intimate. What if we could, what if we were living an orgasmic life? What if we, so part of this is discovering, for some people it will be discovering their orgasmic body. For some people it will be deepening and nurturing and, you know, discovering other ways to tap into it. But basically it's, you know, finding deep finding different ways of being able to access your orgasmicness, and moving away from possibly the standard kind of orgasm that happens in the genitals. So moving away from that. So even if orgasm in the genitals or orgasm with partners is difficult, uh, this workshop is going to be able to help you help people kind of tap into more of that orgasmicness pleasure. Rather than just genital.
0: Wonderful. Releases. And on Saturday, the 29th of Feb, you're actually doing three workshops. Uh, I imagine the first two are very similar. Uh, first one's called Volva Magic, and the second one is Tips and Techniques for Penis Pleasure.
1: Yes. Yes. So they are very similar, um, only that they're different genital configurations. Um, so in the morning, we'll be working with Volva Magic and going through all of the different anatomy and We'll actually be making a model, so you'll get to have practice on on what anatomy actually looks like and how it puts together, and and you'll get to. We'll also talk about arousal. We'll talk about the sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous systems, what they're useful for, how to hack them, how to, I, I, you know, how to kind of make them work of for us.
0: Hacking. I feel like much of what we do here is all just like hacking the bodies and the evolution we found yes. ourselves with.
1: Yes. Yes, I think so. I think we're just body techs or mind techs or energetic yeah. text or whatever, yeah, I think so. And then um, finishing the day and your
0: tour down here with the Three Circles Ritual. Uh, what's that about?
1: Three Circles Ritual is my favourite ritual. Um, I've done many, many, many over the years. But this is my favourite. And the reason, so it comes from, you know, sexological body work. It has a long you know, history of erotic community and the reason i like it the reason it's my favorite is because it's so easy to navigate it's you can i can as a per, as a as a person i can decide how much i want to engage with other people i can decide whether i want to be by myself and look after and nurture myself i can decide whether i want to sit and hold space for the community and i can move myself through those through those circles, because it's called three circles. I know it's a spoiler Hmm. alert. Um, And so I can navigate myself through those quite easily. And simply depending on how I'm feeling in that moment, I find that engagement with people is easy to navigate in because we've done before the ritual starts, we do these little introductory activities and we do. And so we all get clear on language and we all get clear on what's what and and you know we can test some things and practice some things. I always, I always suggest to people that we practice, ask ask some questions and you know test some things that you wouldn't you know, in a nice in this nice container. And then we get to so we've practiced and we've got things clear, which makes the ritual very usually very easeful and smooth to operate in. Depending and you can just be you in. In the ritual, there's no need to please anyone else. There's no need to think about what someone else needs or not. Somebody else needs your no is encouraged, and your yeses yeah, are encouraged yes. as well. And but authentically, what is what is this for the moment? And there's music, and you know, often there's dancing, and they. So for me, they're great fun. They're easy. You get to engage or not engage depending on what you like. Or what you feel in that moment, and it's easy to navigate. Nice.
0: Uh, strikes me as another one of those occasions where on one level it's just uh, a very enjoyable experience in the moment, uh, and then it's also one of those experiences that adds up to help you become uh, a different and better person uh, sexually and in relation to your boundaries and pleasure.
1: Definitely, definitely. and And you get to practice a little bit. Without it being a relationship and without it being loaded, you get to practice or, and you get to notice, well, hang on a sec. I noticed something changed in my body. What was that? Hang on a sec. I'll, I'll move. I'll say thank you. I'll, I'll I'll end my engagement here and I'll go back to myself. I'll go back to the space where myself. Yeah. And what happened for me? What did I know? How did I notice that? What? And so we learn about ourselves and we learn about how we engage with people, not engage with people. Are we a people pleaser? Are we are we holding ourselves back because we don't we're too scared to go forward? know it gives us for me it gives us space for all of those things to happen that it's an easy way to be vulnerable and ask if you want it for engagement.
0: It's Roger again just wanting to mention a couple of things. Firstly, a reminder that if anyone comes to mind that might like listening to this episode, please share it with them. There's normally a way to do that from within your podcasting app or you could just send them a message. Secondly, if you want to know more about Curious Creatures, who bring you this podcast, then check out our website. We're at curiouscreatures.biz, B-I-Z, and that's also linked to in the show notes. Uh, The main thing we do is run workshops in sexuality, relationships, and self-development, and we're based in Australia. Thirdly, By far, the best way to stay in touch is to get on our mailing list, which you can do via the website. We think of your email address as a part of you, so we're very careful about how we use it. And lastly, if you're after our famous Consent Cards, go to ConsentCard.com. There, you can see the questions for free, or buy one. Thanks for listening. It's really nice having you there.